You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. As Doug said, uh, today is a standalone message. I also want you to pray for this evening. The walk is back. Last week, fall break hit us. Uh, stop, it's starting to kind of um, disappear a little bit as people are coming back this week. But the walk is back tonight. So they were off last week. And so we come to the conclusion, uh, what the message that you guys heard last week will be heard tonight at the walk. And it's really kind of all that, that message about trusting Jesus in light of obstacles. Tonight's the night that we come to a head with them. So you can imagine, you know, the critical decade that college students are facing, 18 to, let's say, 28. Uh, they're going to determine their, ma- their master, uh, their mission, and their mate in that decade. That's why I still teach and pour my heart into that ministry some of the most significant decisions that they make. And so tonight we're addressing the topic of their master because it's really, honestly, no longer their parents' faith, it's theirs. And so please pray for tonight that God would use that in a special way. And for this morning, uh, sometimes you just get burdened on a topic and you want to study yourself uh, because perhaps you need it or perhaps you want to be better at giving it. And so today I want us to tackle the topic of encouragement. Uh, today in particular, as I've thought through this and I've read scripture to study what it looks like and how it plays out in the life of the local church, I want to refer to it as adrenaline for the soul. In other words, I want to talk about today what every heart needs for every hard day. I want to begin a little bit different today. I want you to think about this. Think of people who have encouraged you in the Christian life to become more like Jesus. For, For just a second, maybe a few seconds here, I want you to think of one, two, perhaps three different people that have encouraged you in the Christian life. Now show of hands for me. How many of you easily came up with names? Will you show your hands? All across the room. It's going to speak volumes then. Now I want you to consider this. If you've got a a piece of paper and a pen, if you've got your notes app, if you've got something to jot it down, um, I want you to answer this question to yourself. What was it they did that was so crucial to your growth. Think of two, maybe three things. And today, what I want us to do is I want us to look in Hebrews chapter 10. It really, honestly, just a couple of verses. We're going to uh, sneak a peek at a few before these couple of verses. But I want us to look at a couple of verses in particular and see what the author of Hebrews wants us to do on behalf of other people. God, I want to pray that today, as we think through the names of people that have encouraged us, the things that they specifically did to encourage us, God, I pray that we would remember that this has been entrusted to each person in this room that is a follower of Jesus. God, I ask that this church would be known as thoughtful, would be known as encouraging, At the heart of what we do, the larger this place gets, the smaller it feels. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at Hebrews 10, I want us to give special attention to a couple verbs that stand out in a strong way in these two verses. First, we're going to notice one that I've made bold. That way you can pay close attention. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up. How to stir up one another to love and good work. Some of your translations may say spur one another. It may say to rouse, to provoke, to stimulate one another. But in this text, it says stir up, which 
in the Greek is paroxysmon, which is a violent onrush of symptoms. If you're a doctor in this room, you get paroxysm in this. Um, The word literally means a violent rush where the heart begins to beat and you experience these symptoms. By the way, four times this word is used in the New Testament, three of which are in a negative tense. But here in this passage, it's used in a positive sense. Meaning, I want you, the author is saying, to make another Christian's heart race. We all need people like that in our lives. When we see their face, we receive a note, when we receive a phone call or a text, it causes our heart to race because it's what every heart needs for every hard day. So, so on one hand, you see to spur each other on or perhaps to rouse, to provoke, to motivate. Look at verse 25. Here's the other word. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So encourage versus spurring on. This is the other end of the spectrum. Whereas this one's causing the heart to be, this, this word in particular literally means to comfort. Um, the word encourage is parakaleo, to call alongside. Meaning to put your arm around someone to walk with them and encourage them and lift them up. So on one end, he's saying, I want you to provoke, to stir up, to make the Christian heart move. But on the other, I want you to encourage them. Meaning, I don't want Christians, the author's saying, to be fungus among us. I don't want us to become barnacles on the body of Christ. We've been called to encourage and to provoke. In other words, the author's saying, I want you to be a significant and an effective encouragement in the life of other Christians. Meaning this, if someone else told their story of faith, how many of your names would show up? This is the kind of person that when a guest pulls into this parking lot, walks into this room, is nervous about dropping their kids off around the corner, this is the kind of person that sets those people at ease. It causes them to see that this church is actually shaping the way people view the local church. And they have encouragement all over their face. I want us to make a few observations today in light of the text on behalf of the practice of encouragement. As something that God wants specifically to spread among us at severe heights. Some things that you and I need to remember. The first is vitally important. Time with Jesus before time with people. Meaning you will not consistently make this kind of impact, an encouragement on people apart from your quality time with Jesus. Uh, This is where I want us to look at the earlier verses. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. So right here, he's saying, okay, this is the basic essential of your faith. Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, That is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let's draw near. Look at the word by the new. In the Greek text, the word new means like a freshly cut bouquet of flowers new. So in your time alone with God, we draw near to God as if Jesus passed away on the cross 10 minutes ago. He said, this is what shapes the way that you take on the day that's ahead on behalf of other people. Verse 21 Let us draw near with a true heart, that's big, 
in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure, pure water. He says the word true heart. So in your time with God, we approach it as if it's brand new, like a, a fresh bouquet of flowers that's been cut. We have this true heart, which means this. As a follower of Jesus, you do not have to be perfect, but you have to be perfectly honest in your time with God. Listen to these verses on how a day should begin. Proverbs 28, verse 13. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Psalm 51, verse 6, David says it this way. You delight, God delights in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Meaning to be an encouragement to others, it starts in my time alone with Jesus. This is what it looks like. You start your day by embracing God's grace. And then you spend the rest of the day celebrating what took place in the lives of others. Um, Understand, Jesus said this, abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. That's a zero with the edges rubbed off, not a, not a thing. Maybe I could say it this way. I bet you'll remember this. It's the difference between an electrician and an eel. Both are experts on electricity. But electricians do not want to be a part of a conducting current, do they? Don't touch that. It's hot. It's live. But on behalf of an eel, they're an authority on electricity. It runs through them. So it's one thing to know about God. It's another to know him. Don't be an electrician. Be an eel. 2 Corinthians 5.20, look at what Paul said. We are Christ's representatives as though God were making his appeal through us. Like it comes from us inside of us and out of us. If this concept is foreign to you, there is something in between your fellowship with you and God. Can I tell you why the reason this is so important, this time with Jesus before you spend time with other people? Last week's message, if you'll remember, we looked at Philip. Guess what Philip did? After he spent time with Jesus, he brought Nathaniel. You think about others in Scripture. How about Matthew? After he spent time with Jesus, what did he do? He threw a party to encourage others. You think about Andrew. Do you realize every time Andrew shows up in the gospel accounts, after he spends time with Jesus, he's bringing people to Jesus. Every time the guy's name shows up. He's bringing kids. He's bringing the Greeks. He brings Peter. So if you and I ever attempt to encourage others, apart from our time with Jesus, it ain't going to last long. You and I cannot fake it till we make it. It starts in a daily time with him, and then slowly it spills to others. Here's point number two time with Jesus before time with people. I want to use the words of Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrase here. Because this captures number two pretty good. Let's see how inventive, how creative we can be. As you think through other people, as you think through where they currently are, let, let's think how creative and how inventive we can be. It's interesting because in the text, look at this, verse 24, let us consider that's what I mean. Let's think through. Let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Notice he doesn't say just stir up one another. He said, let's think how inventive, how creative we can be. In other words, it's going to take deliberate thought, premeditated thought. 
You're going to have to think through what you can do creatively and thoughtfully. You've got to strategize. You need to have a goal and ambition to bring encouragement to someone else. I want to give you a couple practical examples that have played out in my life. Five years ago, when Jenny was diagnosed, and we were kind of, as a family, just coming together hard and, and all the questions, and it was right in the middle of announcing who's going to be the next pastor here, just overwhelming sense of discouragement in a sense. We were sitting outside at the house. We were sitting by a fire, and some strange car pulls down our driveway, and out comes a package. And as she and I and the kids are sitting by a fire, kind of discouraged late on an evening, out comes an orchid that my friend Charlie and Brenda sent to us. To this day, we still have that orchid. And to this day, for those of you in this room, at this church, that get diagnosed with cancer, when it comes to my attention, I do the best I can. Jenny and I send you an orchid. It's because it meant the world to us. Like if there's one thing, Doug and I were talking earlier this week, if there's one thing that I live and breathe, you just got to know me. I, I want to be known as thoughtful. There's another gentleman that's in this room that he and I and his wife and our family have become good friends. One night we were out on dinner and I noticed that this guy was using chapstick left and right. And I have fallen in love with a certain kind of chapstick. I'll tell you later, shoot me an email. Uh, this type of chapstick that is for guys that literally... It won't melt unless it's over 140 degrees. So you throw it in your car in the summer. You follow me? And I noticed he was using chapstick a lot. And I said, you, you like chapstick? Blah, blah, blah. He does. Later on that conversation, um, I jogged it away because I'm trying to be thoughtful, trying to be considerate. And later on in the conversation, I, I had recently to do a wedding. We were talking about colognes and smellums and all that stuff. And uh, one of the groomsmen at the wedding had this real nice bottle of cologne. And... Um, we were chatting about it, and I took a picture at the wedding. I said, have you ever seen this? Because he likes cologne. Sure enough, he said, no, I haven't. Let me see that thing. So long story short, I was able around the corner, without him knowing, to get him some chapstick because I saw how much he used it. But two days later, Jenny shows up with a bottle of that cologne from him. He outdid me. <laughs> I sent him a text. I'm like, man, all I did was get you a lousy stick of chapstick, and you got me cologne. Understand this. You know what he did? You know what others do? They consider how to be inventive, thoughtful, strategic. You put thought into it. If you look at people doing a great work horizontally, it doesn't just happen. According to the author of Hebrews, they are thinking strategically and creatively. In their time with Jesus, before time with people, they're praying, God, make me aware today. Make me thoughtful today. Stimulate in my mind great ways as I consider how to encourage someone else in their walk with Jesus. If you'll remember this, last week in the message that we shared, we talked about what Jesus said when they were trying to trick him, trap him, test him. Well, what is the greatest command? He made this statement. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Let me continue. Look at what he says. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be thoughtful, creative. After your time with Jesus, on behalf of others, strategic to encourage them. Do those two, you'll live a life of significance. I want you to consider this for a second. Those two, love God, worship God, love people, serve people. Think about it. According to Scripture, that's all the angels do. And I don't think they get depressed, do they? 
If you look at podcasts, you look at books, most of the books, the bestsellers, the top podcasts across the country right now are all about, okay, what do you do to be successful? What do you do to make money? What do you do to gain influence? It's all about us, us, us. I'm going to tell you about me. I get depressed when I'm focused on me. And typically what happens when I get depressed, I close my Bible, I stop looking at God, and I withdraw from people. And then the only thing I look at, the only thing I care about is me. What I'm going through. What I'm facing. And then all of a sudden, comparison raises its ugly head. Insecurities show up. But when I do it right, the Bible way, meaning it's time with Jesus before time with people. Love God, love people. And then I consider how inventive, how creative, how strategic, how thoughtful I can be on behalf of someone else. Because he says, let's be considerate. Now I want you to look at verse 25. We're setting up the next one. I want you to notice what he says is the opposite of encourage in this text. Because it's a little surprising. It's not what you'd think. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. He's got encouraging over here, and then he makes the second the statement, don't quit meeting together. So number three, the practice of presence. Meaning it's really hard to encourage people if you're not around. We have a problem with independence today. A lot of us think that if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And we think, you know, our, our relationship with God is personal, therefore it's private. Wrong. We've held too tight to dependence, but the Bible teaches interdependence. Meaning I need God, I need you. You need me, you need God, we need each other. But we, you and I are consistently bombarded with ideas of dependence on us, independence. I just want you to consider what it looks like at work. Like, you work hard. It's up to you. You've got to give it everything you've got. We, we are bombarded with everything at work, and then we take it home with us. I want you to think about the phone for just a second. The danger isn't what it promotes. The danger is what it prevents, our presence. I say this, and I'm bothered by it. But like Monday and Tuesday night this past week, I, I just needed some encouragement. And... Uh, one of my favorite things, I have to force the family to do it because everybody's getting older. Um, I said, everybody, get up in the bed with me. So we're all in the bed. Elon's kind of facing that way. Silas is this way. Jen's this way. And we're sharing videos, laughing at people falling, you know, all that stupid stuff. And listen to music. And Jen mentions this song, this song. And it's just gold. It's like I lived all day to get to that spot, to get encouraged. But everybody's on their phones and we're listening to stuff, sharing songs, giggling, blah, blah, blah. Well, Jen mentions a song. I can't hear it because everybody else is talking too loud. I said, can everybody shut up? I'm trying to hear this. And Jen said, Tim, this was your idea to get us in the spot. <laughs> but I'm, I'm telling you, the phone's a beautiful thing. We use it all the time. The danger really isn't what it promotes. I mean, it's there. But if we're not careful, the danger is what it prevents. Our presence being with family. I don't mean this bad, so please listen careful. Consider this setting right now, like right now in this room. There's only a few people using their gifts. Me and the guys at the back, they're adjusting the sound so you can hear it. Listen carefully. 
you're not able to use your gifts in this room. Note-taking is not a gift. All you've done in this room is listen. So this room ain't it. On behalf of the local church, if you're going to encourage and do what the text says, you've got to find a way to serve. You've got to find a way to, to get involved and hold babies, hold doors, just shake hands, love on people. Some of you might say, but I can't be there every week. Guess what? Don't let the few times you can't gather keep you from all the times that you can. We can help you find a rhythm, I promise. If it's just once a month, if it's two times a month and it's weird, let it be. We will make it happen. Because otherwise, think about this. How can you encourage people in this body if the only time you're with people in this body is when there are a couple chairs down from you? It ain't going to happen. And yet he says in the text, you and I are here to encourage and challenge one another. By the way, let me push this. In a couple weeks, October the 29th, we have Welcome to Severe Heights class. You can just give it a shot. It'll be at noon, free food. You don't have to register, nothing. We do them strategically. You find out what this church is about. You find out whether or not you'd like to join and partner with us as a church. And you find out areas that you can serve. And trust me, we'll find the rhythm that works for your schedule. And guess what? If something comes up, you call and let us know, and it's okay. But don't let the one or a couple times that you can't be here to serve keep you from all the times that you can. Because if you're only in this room, there is danger in you becoming a well-informed electrician. You know a lot about it, but you're not using it. In other words, there is a danger when it comes to the local church to holding on to the form, but letting go of the function. That's what he says in the text. So on behalf of encouragement, it's time with Jesus before time with people. Let's see how creative, how in, how considerate, how thoughtful, how inventive we can be. And then the practice of presence. Number four, honestly, think about this. It's more about what you do and not so much about what you say. Remember when I asked that question at the beginning today, what did that person do that most motivated you in your walk with Jesus? Truth be told, they might have said something, but for most of you, you saw something. There are significant things that people say in our walk with Jesus, and I can remember them. But more times than not, for me, I remember what they did. Paul described it this way. 2 Corinthians 5.12, we are not trying to commend yourselves to you again, or ourselves to you again. But we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride. Here we go. In what is seen. Rather than what's in the heart. I want to tell you this from the bottom of my heart. I want my life to be a standard for this church and this city as what a follower of Jesus looks like, what he sounds like. That's in my heart. Because when we see people, I'm telling you, I see it in college ministry all the time. When you see college students that grow up in church and then disappear, it's typically because they had no real opportunity to see it played out at home. I heard a lot about it, and they were forced to come, but it didn't match everywhere else. I've discovered this. It is hard for people to eventually trust Jesus without first trusting some kind of person. 
And so if they can't see us, if they don't have the presence of us and what we do, it doesn't build trust. When I see people that trust Jesus, typically they play some kind of trust in a human being that loves Jesus on earth. So this is why it's important to encourage. And at the heart of this point, you will have to have a deep, genuine belief that what we teach in the Bible is real. There are only three things that are eternal. God himself, God's word, and the souls of men. That's what drives us to live this way. If we're not careful, by the way, I am so thankful for what's going on in the men's ministry of this church. Because if we were not embracing what the scripture text, the scripture says, we would simply have mild-mannered men teaching mild-mannered men how to be more mild-mannered. That ain't it. Doug said it. I'm going to pick on him while I can because Tuesday, October 24th is coming. We got this guy coming on that night for the men. Um, I'm going to jab at him. This, this is my chance. I, you're going to hear on Tuesday night men in the room, he's going to pick on me like no business. It gets me mad, but there's nothing I can do. All right, so it's going Q&A time. Can I show you why we're having him? This was the text. I'm in. Let's light some fire for the kingdom. That's his heart. Of course, you just made me wake. Let's do this. Guys, this is a chance for you to encourage your friends that you work with. You say, I don't think they'll go to church. They'll come to hear this dude. They're intrigued. And the guy loves Jesus. I hope the story comes out. You know when he trusted Jesus? When his daughter said, Daddy, you're going to hell. That got him as a coach. Changed everything. So I encourage you to be here. On behalf of sports, I don't know, in light of this, um, it's more about what you do and not so much about what you say. I don't know if you guys know this part of my life, but did you know uh, about my strong football career? Here's the thing. Y'all are getting to know me good. All I have to do is say stuff like this and you giggle. Uh, my, my career was forced to start, stop in the fifth grade by myself. Um, <laughs> I got uh, still, my kids, I was telling them recently, that's the first time I ever got cussed out by a coach, fifth grade. Uh, I remember why. I was a wuss. I got injured about every game. Uh, and uh, I want you to know I grew out of it and became more of a man. But at the time, I remember coach saying this, Miller, just hit someone. Hit anyone. To the followers of Jesus in this room, just do something. Do anything. Don't keep waiting. Because the opposite of passivity, we don't need more passive people. The opposite of passivity is strategic activity. And in the church, it's encouragement. It's not just tied to what you say. It's more affiliated with what you do. I want to close with one more observation. And these are some encouraging tidbits. Just things for you to remember. Essentials affiliated with encouragement. I want to start by reading a very sad verse, if you really think about it. There's some good stuff to it, but it's pretty sad. Paul said to the church at Philippi, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. Look here, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not what matters to Jesus. Pretty sad, isn't it? Paul's like, man, I'm, I'm short on a specific type of person. 
It's people that care about other people. Encouraging tidbits. Let me tell you what it's like in my life. When I see people that bring lift, when I'm with them, it's like I'm the only person in the solar system. Like me and them, it's like they give me eye contact. They listen. They bring you lift. They ask and they're genuinely concerned. How are you doing? Like, no, really, Tim, how are you doing? How about this? When someone is encouraging to me, you know what they do? What they do is they ask me my opinion on things. Do you realize your opinion is one of the most, most valuable things that you got? And when somebody asks you for it, they're saying, man, I care about you. I want to hear what you think about this situation. Um, they ask questions like, man, how do you do that? As a leader, what are you reading right now? Uh, one, of the, one of the articles I read recently was a, a statement about people that make the greatest impact on other lives. They say three words over and over and over. Tell me more. It's because they're listening. You and I, if we're going to be encouragers, we need to remind other people. Walk in these doors, come into your office at work, come to your house. That the people that walk in those doors are created in the image of God. They are valued by God. Jesus died for them, and they need to feel like it when we're around them. I asked this question earlier. I want you to consider this now in light of going way back. Who was the first person to believe in you? Maybe jot their name down. They found something that you did well, and they encouraged you to work on it. They told you to put time into it. They believed in you. Mine, fifth grade, Vernon Rose, baseball coach. Stayed with him for four years, played travel league. He'd come to my house, pick me up in the back of a pickup truck. We'd go to the housing projects, pick up the rest of the guys. I know it's against the law to do that. I mean, nowadays, I don't care. But back then, we're in the back of the pickup truck. We'd go to South Knoxville Optimist Club, practice every night of the week. I'd grab a Halls, mentholatum drop, put it in my bottom lip like I was dipping just to be cool. Vernon Rose believed in me. It's why I played shortstop, pitch, catch. I could do wherever he wanted me to go. And I'm going to tell you something. I would have climbed Mount Everest for Vernon Rose. Understand, you can do the same for somebody else. And 30 years from today, they might be talking about you like I'm talking about Vernon Rose. So can we please encourage one another? I want to close with this and we're done. 2 Timothy 3, I saw a unique con connection between a passage of Scripture. I just want to make sure you see it. Until recently, never saw it. Paul's talking to Timothy about the Bible. All Scripture is inspired by God, is useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. It's given to change lives, to shape lives. And then in 2 Timothy 4, here's what happens. Paul tells Timothy about how we do it as people. Now notice the similarities. You're going to see the same words show up. 2 Timothy 4, 2, he says, Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Look, here's the words. Correct. Rebuke and encourage. The same words used earlier about what the Bible has the power to do. But pay close attention to how you do it. Preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience. 
and careful instruction. Listen carefully, because you may have a certain characteristic that may cause this entire message to blow up in your face. Some people have zero sensitivity. Their facial features are are like that of a closed fist, a clenched fist. They have a hand, hands and hearts of stone, of concrete. And they approach this encouragement deal in the Bible like a demolition. Hey, get your life right. That ain't in the text. Is there anyone in your life that you cringe when they call? You hide when you see them in the hallway here or at your office? Because time around them is equivalent to getting hit with a baseball bat with their words. They beat you up, emails, letters, comments, and it takes you weeks to recover. It's like they get, get you in a corner and they vomit words on you. God laid something on my heart. I'm sick of what you're doing. That ain't it. I'm telling you. Zero sensitivity. We've all been around people like that. People that cause us to run when they come. I just want you to remember today as we close, Paul tells Timothy, you do it with great patience. And you do it with careful instruction. I want to pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed today, may this be your heart. Father, don't just make us aware of what the Bible says. Make us eels. Vessels that you flow through. Don't let us forget what every heart needs for every hard day. It's encouragement. It's adrenaline for the soul. And it begins with our time with you before time with people. God, give us your eyes. Give us your mind. Give us strategic and thoughtful and deliberate thoughts as we consider how to encourage. May we never forget the importance of what we do, not just what we say. And may this church be known as a church that loves you and loves people. And therefore, our goal is to believe in them, to build them up, and to remind them that they are created in your image as we take these steps. I pray we would do so, as you told Timothy, with great patience, so that this entire message doesn't blow up in our face. God, some in this room realize we need to give this encouragement I pray today a response would be that they would go outside in the hallway and just sign up to leave their name, to leave their number, even if it's just one time a month. Some in the room need to give this encouragement, but others in the room realize they're in the middle of hard days and they need this kind of encouragement. God, make them aware that this room doesn't really happen that way in here. It just falls on ears and hearts, we've got to do something. Help them to take next steps. Give them the courage to call. Help them do something. And God, this is my prayer for this church. You know, I've prayed it so much. May we, at Severe Heights, be an expression of your grace, an exhibition of your love, and an extension of of your life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.